Hi, this is Jeffrey Tucker, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You might also consider supporting this podcast by sharing it and even donating. LCI needs your help so it can continue creating great content. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and today I am joined by special guest Connor Boyack. Connor is the president of the Libertas Institute, a free market think tank in Utah. He is the author of the popular libertarian book series for children, The Tuttle Twins, as well as over a dozen books on politics, education, and culture. He's also the president of the Association for Teaching Kids Economics, a national nonprofit helping K-8 students learn free market ideas. Connor's here today to talk to us about how to reach children with the message of liberty. Connor, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. You know, you've succeeded in helping me as a parent do something that is pretty pretty hard to do, and that is, you know, I, I growing up, you know, looking forward to being a parent, you know, when I was a late teen and into my 20s, I was like, you know what, I hope my kids really like this. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's my interest in something like, you know, dinosaurs or outer space or something like that. And then, you know, you you actually have kids and you realize they have minds of their own and they have interests of their own and they're not <laughs> going to be the, exactly the way you want them to be or exactly the way you want the, the way you were or expect them to. And so, I you know, I strike out sometimes and I, you know, I get a book and I think my son or daughter is going to like it and they're like, like they they try it, but they're not really into it. Well, sure. with the Tuttle Twins, you've succeeded in getting them into something that I, you know, of course, don't want to indoctrinate them and, and overdo it because then I don't want them to kind of reject the message of liberty. But mm-hmm. you you got them into it, so I just want to thank you for that. That's great to hear. They were amazed. You know, the first the first two books um, in your Tuttle Twins series, The Law and the Miraculous Pencil, both of them, their eyes got really big at several parts. And uh, so this is an important book series, I think, for children because it introduces the message of liberty in a very important way. Would you be able to tell us a little bit of how this got started? Like, where did you see the need for this? Um, I'm pretty sure you're one of the very few children's directed uh, content creators uh, for the, in the liberty movement. Yeah. Um, so this started because I'm a dad, right? And it, I mean, the, the genesis that I usually don't share is that uh, at Libertas Institute, we printed our own edition of The Law by Frederick Bastiat. And uh, in doing that, one of the the designer who I had uh, do the cover for me threw out this random idea like, hey, what if, you know, there were like a children's version, that could be interesting. And it was almost just this passing idea, okay, haha, yeah, whatever. But then, you know, time goes by and I'm thinking about how I'm going to communicate with my kids the ideas that I believe in, how do I share these things with them. And so I'm thinking like any good dad, I'm going to go on Amazon. I'm going to find a book that talks about, you know, the free market or property rights or whatever. And hey, we'll get you a little kid's book and it'll bring you up to speed. And, and there was nothing. There was a little bit of like constitution for kids or American history for kids. Uh, but there was really nothing that talked about the underlying values and ideas that led to those things. And that's what I wanted my children to focus on. Uh, the emphasis for me isn't the constitution, is it isn't, you know, the American government as it was formed or as it stands now, it's the ideas it's, uh, that apply to everywhere, you know. Um, and, and so I couldn't really find anything, spend a week or two being bummed and, um, you know, thinking, oh, there ought to be a book, there ought to be something. And uh, and that's when kind of this idea from before kind of clicked. 
uh, where someone had uh, given me the idea some months previously when we were printing our own edition of The Law by Frederick Bostad, made this kind of passing suggestion of, what if there was a children's book? And uh, I have a buddy of mine who's an illustrator that I reached out to. He's a father of young kids. We started brainstorming the idea and, and really just kind of grew from there. We did the first book not thinking that we would do a series. It was just kind of a fun little project. Uh, we didn't know if it would sell at all, uh, but the market demand was incredible. And so really has kind of sustained us in moving forward, building out a series and really pushing the books out there. Well, and one of the one of the challenges of getting kids to read something is that you have to make it interesting. And so, you know, I don't know why a child would want to know about property rights and you make it important in their lives from their perspective. Yeah, I, I will say it's hard. Uh, you know, writing these books, it doesn't take a long time in the sense that, you know, I've written several other books for adults or general market and, and that takes a while. You got to do all the research, you got to make it sound compelling, you got to write it all. Uh, so the children's books don't take a long time to write, but they take a lot of mental energy because you have to figure out how to make it interesting, fun, relevant, how they'd want to read it again, you know, more than just once. And it was definitely, especially that first book, it was an interesting challenge that I think we've kind of got a good you know, system going now. But for an author such as myself, it was definitely a new experience trying to kind of figure out that sweet spot. Do your kids beta test your stories or do they kind of get the the end result? Oh yeah, my my children love being the beta testers, and so I'll read them a uh, the early draft, you know, that we'll then kind of revise and tweak, and they'll always come back. In fact, just yesterday we were uh, editing our latest book, and my kids will point out things. Well, wait a minute, in in the fifth book, Ethan said this, and now he's saying something kind of different. You should, you know, change it to this. And and they're eight and six, and they're giving me these fun little uh, ideas often that we'll incorporate into the book, or they'll they're especially good at. Uh, when we're in the illustration phase, they'll point out things that like, hey, what about this Easter egg? Or, hey, you know, the, this backpack is a different color than it was on the other page. And so they love being involved. And a lot of people often ask if my, because my, I have a boy and a girl, and they say, well, is are your kids' names Ethan and Emily? Well, no, I, I didn't give them the same names as my kids. But uh, but their personalities that kind of come through in the stories are based on on my kids. And so that was kind of a fun little author thing to throw in there. Uh, do they enjoy that information? I mean, do they enjoy that that's the case? Oh, yeah. No, they, they feel totally special. They get the first copies off the press of every single book. Uh, you know, the funny thing was about a year and a half ago, we did this video that if you go to our Facebook page, the Tuttle Twins, uh, it's pinned at the top. I think it's got like two and a half million views now. And, uh, and it was just a little fun video we did as a weekend project with my kids saying, hey, here's the books and buy them and they're great and, and just super cute, you know, and fun. And, you know, every once in a while they'll say, hey, dad, shouldn't we be getting a royalty from <laughs> from the books that we've helped sell from from the video? So they're their own little uh, hustlers and entrepreneurs <laughs> in their own right. So we have fun with it. Well, that's good. I mean, that's kind of where you want your kids to go to start thinking ahead of even the things that you're directly trying to instill in them. For sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Were you always a libertarian? Is this something that you kind of grew up uh, believing or is part of your story where you, you came upon it through, you know, someone like Ron Paul? Yeah, uh, in fact, it was him. Uh, I was invited to a screening of a documentary that many people haven't heard of. It's called America, Freedom to Fascism. This was in, I believe, 2005, 2006. It was newly produced by the late Aaron Russo. And uh, his film was talking about the decline of America, that look, here's the ideals, here are the principles, here's the founding, and look how far we've you know gone. We've gone from freedom to, to fascism. And I was kind of, you know, familiar a little bit with what was going on in the world and, and with politics very generally. I wasn't involved. I wasn't really awake, as you might call it. But there was this one 
dude, this old guy in the film that, that I'd never heard of before, but he made a lot of sense, you know? And so I, who is this guy? So I Googled Ron Paul and you know, the rest is history and, and just follow it down the rabbit hole, reading a ton of books. For me, it's all self-taught. And it's funny because a lot of things, a lot of people with my work at Libertas, we, uh, I always say we're in the business of changing hearts and changing minds and changing laws. And, uh, and we've changed, I don't know, uh, three dozen plus laws now, really substantive stuff on a wide range of issues. Uh, most recently, we've got a ton of national attention from every single media outlet for a law we passed um, for something called free range kids, uh, saying that, you know, police and, and child service uh, uh, agents can't, you know, charge a parent with neglect or, or anything like that for letting their kids, you know, play at the park or walk to the store. And it's amazing. We've just been getting press all over the place, every single outlet, international media, because Utah is now the first state in the entire country to have this, to protect parental rights. And so this is the type of work that we do. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, how do you get into this? Are you a lawyer and everything? I'm like, no, I'm actually a web developer. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I kind of had a totally different life path, but this being a, a Christian uh, uh, podcast, I'll feel very open in saying that I felt God directed me, you know, kind of called me down a different path, an open door that I could follow and say, no, you need to be doing this instead. This is where your talents lie. But I was entirely self-taught. I've had to learn this as I go. I have no formal education in, in you know, political science or certainly law or anything like that. But um, I'm able to now kind of uh, compete or work at that level just because of self-study and a lot of uh, time and, and mistakes along the way. I, I did hear about that law being, you know, the first uh, of its kind among the states. And I did not know that your, your organization was behind that. Congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. That that was us. We we kind of take pride in doing some of these like first in the nation things that we then try and get other organizations or other uh, legislatures to do. So that that was definitely a fun one, and and it wasn't that hard. Uh, that one wasn't one of our more difficult policies to work on. But you know, these things uh, oftentimes you just gotta you, someone's just gotta do it. Someone's gotta try. So we threw the idea out there. We worked on it a little bit, but the legislature ended up passing unanimously. And as I say, we've just been getting uh, <laughs> gobs of of media attention on just because it's so interesting a little controversial whenever you talk about parenting styles and so it's been a wild ride well maybe that speaks to something about the utah legislature but i actually am surprised that you you had a unanimous vote because you know what's more important than the safety of our children i mean you'd, right. I, you'd think you'd have a lot more pushback than uh, than what you than you did i'm not that you wouldn't have any pushback i didn't mean it that way well to your point uh we weren't the first state to try we were the first state to succeed but arkansas last year tried and they got it out of the state uh senate but when it got to the house, there was all sorts of fear mongering about, you know, boogeyman and everything else. And so the bill died because it played to people's fears. Even though when you look at the statistics, it's never been safer to be a so-called, you know, free range kid or to, to have this kind of independent style of parenting. It's just, I think that with social media and, you know, 24 seven news cycle and everything, we hear about these stories a lot more. They're in, inflamed a lot more. And so the perception is that, oh, the world's a dangerous place, when in reality, the statistics tell otherwise. And so uh, we were able to, to have cooler heads prevail. And, uh, and you know, Utah, like several other red states, is, is very pro-family. That's very deep in our culture and tradition. And so a lot of parents very quickly recognize that, well, yeah, I should be able to let my kids do that. So it's a fun thing. And I, I will add this note. You know, we work on a lot of controversial stuff, too. Like we're pushing the medical marijuana legalization in our state and and uh, we're trying to repeal the death penalty. We work on like all sorts of these other kind of big uh, controversial policies. What's interesting is uh, with that free range uh, law that we passed, but especially with the topic we're talking about today with these Tuttle Twins books, 
Uh, what's interesting is it allows us to couch the message of liberty in a very comfortable way for people who otherwise would be alienated. If we go to someone and uh, talk to them about the death penalty, it's going to be a big turnoff, right? You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. we're going to butt heads and we're going to fight. But when we say, hey, we got this fun little book that you can read with your kids, you know, in your living room, comfort of your own home, have a little bonding moment, learn some important values. You know, we don't even say learn, learn about libertarianism. It's, you know, no, learn these important principles that made America great, you know, or right. however you want to kind of softly sell it. And, and the endearment that we get to these people who otherwise might be alienated from us or indifferent towards us is profound. And so uh, sometimes I'll you know speak at conferences or whatever, sharing kind of our strategies and success and so forth. And I'll say that the best thing that you can do is to um, round out uh, your your rough edges. You know, like we as libertarians can take pretty bold positions on a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. when when we're helping kids, you know, then it's a, a much more endearing thing. And so I think we need to focus on issues, or at least have within kind of our quiver a lot of issues that. Um, that are more pro-family or pro-parenting or whatever, because it will soften uh, our image and allow us to broaden the tent. Because I, I, I think that's what we're all trying to do, right? We're not just trying to preach to the choir and and talk to the people who already agree with us. If we're trying to take our message elsewhere, what better way than right into people's living rooms where families themselves can kind of embrace these ideas, make it their own, and go from there? Yeah, I agree with you. And your books really cover... Uh, the kinds of topics that libertarians want to communicate without uh, probably the words radicalizing them. You know, it's not like you're not preaching to the choir on the one hand, although, you know, I read the books to my children. I have my, sure. my children are 10 and eight as, as of right now uh, in 2018. And, and I read it to them and they were, they were, they were hooked after about, you know, 10 pages. Uh, and then I was like, well, no, we're not going to read them all tonight. We're going to read one every night. Um, yeah. And so they were, they were in conversation with me after, not with every one of them, but with some of them. And, you know, they, they understand some of the concepts, but they didn't understand most of them, which, which left a te- teaching opportunity. And then you provide uh, some bonus material, or I think it might even be free, um, uh-huh. the, the PDFs and like activity pages and stuff. Those are, those are free or they, but I can't know if I've got a bonus. Yeah, when, when you buy the set of our books, we offer them for free. Otherwise they're like five bucks for each of the, the workbooks, but that is kind of a little bonus that we throw in when you buy the whole set that we throw them all in for free. Ah, uh, okay. So yeah, I bought the whole set and that, that must be why. So, uh, you know, and then they did, there's like a maze and there's like, you know, like connect the dots or crosswords and some things like that and coloring pages and stuff, uh, which, which they were into for a few days. But one of the things that really stood out to me was when we were talking about the content, I think it was after the first one, which is about the law. Uh, and it might've been about after Miraculous Pencil, which is the second book. So these are kind of all runs together to me in one week. But they were they were talking about freedom. And I said, you know, there are people who want to take our freedoms away. And I didn't say it in some sort of like threatening, you know, da, like politics. Yeah, it wasn't like that. And their eyes just got really big. They're like, what? <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> oh, so th- they do value this. Like there's some in some sense in them, like they don't understand the whole the whole picture, of course. I mean, they're just they're young kids, but uh, they they get the threat and then they get that it's a that's a, that it's an issue today. Yeah, I mean, and what's amazing to me in doing this now for a few years is that kids can understand this stuff. They want to understand this stuff, and I can't tell you how many parents reach out to us baffled and they say, "My kid will only read Barbie books," and I've tried over and over to get her to read other stuff and she refuses. But then, you know, I give her these telephones books and she's read them all five times, you know, <laughs> so many things like that. Like my kid, we had one parent, my kid hates, hates reading. 
you know, doesn't like reading anything, but your books has got him hooked. And now he's reading not only those books, but other books. And so I've, and this was like accidental. This isn't like some strategic, hey, we're going to determine how to get kids to like reading. Like I take, <laughs> I take no credit at all for stumbling into this. But as I've thought about it, trying to figure out what in the world have we done that has prompted many, many parents to share stories like this about a kid going from one, you know, end of the reading interest or whatever to, to really loving these books. And, uh, and the theory that, that we came up with that has kind of proven itself a little bit, at least anecdotally, uh, with, with these families that uh, we hear from and that we talk to about it, is that we are um, introducing children to adult ideas. And it really comes down to, to that only, right? Because so many children's books treat kids like kids. And, and it's simple language and it's stupid stories and it, you know, it's just a whatever. It's a forgettable adventure that, you know, happens and then concludes. And, uh, and they're treated like kids. And you think about it, like, you know, kids often want to hang out with adults or hang out with older kids. They always want to try new things and assume new responsibilities. And it's exciting and they get to be like their older sibling or their parents. And so I think what we've done is translated that innate desire for maturity into a book. You know, this is mature ideas, not that it's like, you know, uh, you know, sexual in nature. I don't mean in that way. Right. But, but this is like um, adult level thinking and ideas and complex topics that we are exposing little kids to. We turn it into a fun story. We, we simplify the words, even though we do introduce a, and define a lot of, you know, new terms that will be uh, new to our younger readers, but we're doing it a way where we're giving them an opportunity to kind of uh, sneak into this adult level thinking and they like it. And and as I talk to families about it, try and kind of validate that theory. It's like, oh yeah, my kid really loved being able to not only read this and learn a lot of these new terms and everything, but then we had a discussion about it. And, uh, you know, one parent last week emailed us and said, my nine-year-old started talking to the Federal Reserve with my 18-year-old twins and they had a competent discussion about monetary policy for half an hour. Like, wow. who does that, right? That's, that's what impressive. Nine, what nine-year-old does that, <laughs> right? Um, and so I, th I think that's the idea here, or, or that's the sweet sauce, is that we're taking these ideas that no one ever really previously was like, oh, we should teach kids about, you know, protectionism and the uh, market capitalism and everything else. Like, no, maybe we dumb it down. Like, yeah, we, we simplify it, but we don't, we don't treat them like they're ignoramuses. And the beauty of this, again, this is an accident. This was not a plan, is that... Uh, Going back a minute ago, we were talking about broadening the, the, the audience into the family and the living room. What we've found is that we have reached a ton, thousands, probably at this point, uh, tens of thousands of people who otherwise would have no exposure to our movement, to our ideas. Mothers especially, who just heard from a, a fellow mom and a youth group or a church group or whatever, like, hey, these books teach important values to your kids. My kids love them. Oh, okay, I'm going to get them too. And, and that's all the parent knows. They don't know Hayek. They don't know Rothbard. They don't know Mises. They don't know Bastiat. They've never heard of these guys. They would never pick up a book, you know, on the treatise of Austrian economics or anything like that. But here we give them a very non-threatening way to learn about it, right? We don't give them uh, human action. <laughs> we don't even give them <laughs> the law by Bastiat, which is pretty short, sweet, and punchy and, e and easier to read. We don't, we don't give them an article from Fee or from Mises.org. Like, we don't throw any of this adult-level stuff at them. We, we give them a children's book and it's not for them, it's for their kids. But the sneaky thing that's happening is that the parents are reading along with the kids. And in this very non-threatening way, the parent is learning just as much as the child. 
and and they don't feel dumb about it. It's not like we're giving it to them. They're our audience. No, it's for their kids. Yeah. But now the parent has those barriers come down and they feel comfortable learning about these topics that they've never really shown any interest in before, especially so when their kid takes an interest and wants to, you know, and the, well, mom, you know, like <laughs> this was a year or two ago, but you know, one kid was like, well, wait a minute. If, if, uh, if stealing is bad, then why are taxes okay? <laughs> and imagine like your average yeah, home- win. <laughs> There's a win. Yeah. yeah. Imagine your average like homeschool mom or whatever getting a question <laughs> like that, right? Like, uh, uh, let me go do some homework and I'll get back to you. <laughs> and so it forces the parents, the, you know, to think about it, to, to reach out, to read the original essay or book that our books are based on. It's been really fascinating. And again, I don't take credit for this stuff. We, we kind of stumbled onto something that's been amazing. And uh, we're just excited to see where it, where it continues to lead. What's been the, uh, maybe you don't know this for, for sure, but uh, what's been the, uh, I don't know what to call it, the success rate in getting some kids to read some of the books that these are based on? I mean, it's some of them are very clear, like you have a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island, and I haven't even read the real Creature from Jekyll Island. I sure. mean, I've read, I've watched some videos about it and so forth, and I get it, but even I haven't read it. I mean, do you have, uh, do you have any stories from, you know, uh, hearing of kids, you know, maybe not picking up human action, but going into some of the others? In the back of our book, when we say, hey, parents, you know, here's what this, uh, our book is based upon this essay or this book. Here's what it's about. That's more geared towards the parent, right, who we're kind of exposing these ideas to because, you know, the books or the essays are more adult level stuff. We have uh, heard many stories of preteens or even teenagers who, you know, maybe read the book to their younger siblings is kind of beneath them. But again, just like the parent, it's this non-threatening way to learn about these ideas. But then that teenager is able to... Uh, you know, if they're intrigued by it, we've heard stories where they'll go, you know, hey, mom, can you get me this book? This this was kind of interesting. I'd like to learn more. So we have a few anecdotal examples like that. Really, our original goal is not to necessarily lead everyone in a marketing funnel to say, hey, go, you know, read these original books. We wanted to put them there as a resource for those who wanted to learn more, but we really don't have a way to track that. We or occasionally, you know, someone will share a story with us or just a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from a reader saying, hey, this was really interesting. And I went and I bought economics in one lesson because that's what our food truck mm-hmm. fiasco book is based on. Um, and, so, you know, that's gratifying and that's great. We obviously want people to continue to learn. But at a minimum, we at least want the, to expose them to these ideas um, and have them be kind of memorable and lasting so that two years from now, when they're in a discussion with their teacher in the school or whoever, they can at least competently engage and they can maybe defend some of these ideas of freedom and and counteract some of the other stuff they'll be hearing along the way. Hey folks, Norman Horn here from LCI. Would you do us a quick favor and rank us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to us? High rankings helps us get the word out there. And now let's get back to the show. What have you learned as a writer and maybe writer slash dad, since these are kind of together for you in a lot of ways, as you've been writing these books? I mean, have you come across new ideas uh, within Liberty or more nuanced ideas that that your writing has helped shape you personally? Um, the, the short answer to that is no. I think I was pretty well steeped in all these ideas that uh, for me, it wasn't really exposure to anything new. The one observation I will share though is um, I've been increasingly amazed by how interconnected these ideas are, right? So for most libertarians, the, the central axiom is the non-aggression principle. Everything kind of flows from that and, and uh, kind of this foundational layer upon which a lot of our ideas rest. And, and whether your ethical principles stem from your you know, belief in God or your belief in you know, self-actualization and, and human sovereignty or whatever, we kind of have these outgrowths. But the real foundation is kind of this core essential 
idea and then everything kind of branches off of that. So as we write these books, one of the challenges that we've had is we don't want to write a book about a single issue. Um, we want these books to be layered. We want these books to be kind of like an onion, right? Like uh, you, you come back and every time you, you read it, you kind of learn something new. You uh, have more understanding four months later about an issue. So when you go back and read the book, you kind of, oh yeah, no, that, that makes sense now. Now I'm catching on to that. And so we've really strived, um, especially in the, the last several books that we've done, to incorporate several ideas um, uh, that might even be kind of different ideas. But because they're all kind of connected to this central theme, it becomes fairly easy to kind of weave them together. It's not like they're totally unrelated ideas. So in you know the search for Atlas, we might talk about the importance of personal responsibility and uh, then we can talk about selfishness. Well, okay, th those might even contradict in a lot of conversations, but when they're all kind of tied back to a central idea that you own yourself and the product of your labor and, and, you know, and, and period, the end of story, you can tie that principle into these different ideas and weave it into a story that kids can get. But the whole point is that you can then expose the kid to a ton of those ideas um, rather than having a story about a single idea. So that, that's been rather interesting to me, an observation, figuring out how to do that and then seeing how interconnected our, our ideas really are. The, the turnaround time for these is about you're, you're kind of putting out about one a year. Is that about right? Uh, I'd say seven or eight months. Every seven or eight months, we, okay. we're putting one out. And uh, book eight, we're going to be announcing here shortly. Uh, we're thinking we'll do 10 in the series total. And then we got some other ideas to kind of continue the, the Tuttle Twins brand and project beyond that and other avenues. But, uh, but yeah, about every eight or nine months is kind of our sweet spot for how often we can put them out. I can imagine kids and parents who are who already experienced this want some different types of Tuttle Twins brand items. So I guess, I guess that's something that's under wraps for a while. Well, yeah, I mean, the biggest one that, that uh, isn't under wraps, I just tell people that they need to send a millionaire my way, is uh, cartoons. You know, I think <laughs> cartoons would be amazing, but the production cost of, of animation is substantial. Oh, yeah. um, and so we, we've looked into it. We'd really want to do it. It'd be a ton of fun. Uh, it's just finding, you know, that donor, finding that... Uh, that uh, financial ability to pull something of that magnitude off. But we, we are very interested in that. In fact, Elijah, our illustrator, when I approached him uh, about doing this, uh, he had to kind of brush up on his, uh, uh, what would you call it, kind of 2D illustration mm -hmm. because his main skill is animation. It's, it's you know, video and kind of graphic animation. Um, and so uh, he's, he's definitely interested. We're interested. Um, so we'd love to do it in the future, but that one just becomes kind of a, a function of cost rather than uh, interest. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the Association for Teaching Kids Economics. That's uh, it's something that I think is obviously important. I mean, we've been having this whole discussion about kids learning economics and principles uh, of liberty, and a lot of times those things are intertwined, and they are in your book. I mean, there's economic ideas, there's liberty ideas, but um, it sounds like the Teaching Kids Economics organization is uh, more geared toward economics. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So uh, this is an idea that stemmed off of um, really some requests that we were got uh, that we received kind of organically from teachers saying, "Hey, this is really interesting. I'd, I'd love to do it in my class." And after that happened several times, we began taking it a little bit more seriously, seeing like, "Hey, the market's kind of signaling to the, uh, us that this is happening." And uh, this was kind of born of a, a few different things. It's kind of interesting to see how this project kind of uh, led to where it is. I was actually in Hawaii about a year ago. Uh, for an economic conference, and the ideas were just turning about how do we do this, how do we do this, and uh, and from that conference, you know, the the inspired setting of literally walking along the beach in Maui, trying to kind of brainstorm my way through this and figure it out, and I'm like two miles away from my hotel, 
and the idea hits me and the name hits me. I have, I don't have my phone cause I was kind of unplugged, just kind of looking for that inspiration. You know, I don't have pen and paper. I got nothing. And so I, I ran the entire way back to the hotel so I could jot down all these ideas cause they started flowing. And, and so really the whole concept here is that, um, while it's great that we've sold, I think over about 160,000 books now, you know, tens of thousands of families, we're going to keep doing that. It's great. The books are getting out there. That's, like a substantial minority compared to all the kids who are in school being fed contrary information, not being exposed to these ideas. That's a grave injustice. And when you look at organizations in our network, you think of uh, Fee, for example, they uh, a few years ago pivoted to uh, focus more on kind of the millennials, right? And they'll even, uh, Fee, for those who don't know, is the Foundation for Economic Education, great organization, fee.org. And so they'll reach down even to high schoolers, which is great. They do a lot of conferences. I've spoken at these conferences with, with youth groups. They do a great job. They have this fun uh, trading game that kind of engages the students. That's fantastic. Uh, a lot of our organizations only wait until people are adults before we start talking to them, before we start pitching our ideas to them. Okay, I'm a product of public school. I, I see my peers. By the time we're adults, we largely have already formed opinions on a lot of stuff. We think we know everything. We, you know, We've kind of got closed minds in a lot of ways. We're we're kind of in our camp uh, with our team, with our tribe, and it's like pulling teeth trying to get someone to change teams and change loyalties. And so the whole idea here is that we're waiting too long, right? You you think of like the analogy I always share is like a gardener, uh, and his trees are all diseased and decaying, and he's out there just fertilizing, fertilizing, hoping that they'll come back to good health. And sure, while that's important and you want to save the trees and do what you can, any good gardener is thinking about the future, right? So in another plot of land, he's uh, planting some saplings and he's doing it right from day one to prevent that decay in the future, right? You're not a good gardener if you're not looking forward to the future. But what we're doing in our movement too often is fertilizing decaying trees. We're, we're giving information to adults who man, maybe in 20 years he'll change his mind or maybe in six years that person will or, or whatever. Hey, that's great. We should do it. I don't knock it, right? It's what we do at Libertas Institute. We, we have to do it. These are voters. We have to engage them. We have to do this. The, the trees are decaying in, in the sense of you know uh, deviating from the ideas of liberty, embracing statism and so forth. We have to do that. But good heavens, why are we in our movement, our network, whatever you want to call it, not planting you know, the right seeds, the right saplings for the future. So the whole concept with the Association for Teaching Kids Economics is to take our ideas, just as we are with the Tuttle Twins, to families who buy them or whatever, but to take it into the classroom, K through eight, give away books, give away lesson plans to the teachers, engage them, get this content being shared in class. We're going to start getting into teacher training and certification so teachers can learn more about this and then kind of share it with their students over the years. But we have to engage in the lower levels of class. We can't wait till these people are older. It's so often too late. It's a poor return on investment because we're having to spend so much money with much less success. We have to invest on the front end. We got to buy a whole bunch of seeds and be like freaking Johnny Appleseed, just going around planting everywhere we go uh, because the future of our movement requires it. And it's been amazing that so few people have been focused on the future. We're always kind of looking, you know, not seeing the forest for the trees, right? We're seeing the decayed trees in front of us, but we're not not to see in the future. That's the whole concept. We're very new. We're just getting started here. So I've got an executive director and me, and that's it. We've raised you know, a bit of funding to give away books to uh, uh, classrooms. So you can go to atkey.org, which is A-T-K-E 
Org stands for you know the Association for Teaching Kids Economics, so Atkey. And uh, you go there, you sign up for uh, uh, books. If you go to atkey.org slash school, uh, that's where uh, teachers can request free copies. We're just now starting to kind of engage. We sent out, I think, twenty or 30,000 books now and lesson plans. And man, the sky is the limit. So we're, we're very excited. Our work is very needed, but we're just starting to begin. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. You got me excited just thinking about, you know, the kinds of progress you're making by teaching it to, to kids and to by reaching teachers as well. Um, you know, you're right. And it's cliche to say that kids are our future, but, you know, the the, the decaying tree versus planting new things is, is uh, definitely an analogy worth worth taking seriously. Other than the AdKey website, uh, where else can people reach uh, the Tuttle Twins books, the Libertas? Can you give us some websites for them to reach you? For sure. So uh, Libertas Institute, if you want to read more about some of the policies we've been doing, especially if you're in another state and you want to kind of help push some of these and introduce us to a legislator or get things going, uh, that website is libertasutah.org. Libertas is spelled like liberty, but instead of a Y, there's an A-S, libertasutah.org. Tuttletwins.com, for those who don't have the books and you want to buy them, uh, make sure you use the coupon 40, F-O-R-T-Y. That'll get you 40% off our combo pack. And then, as I said, you get all the free uh, workbooks thrown in there as well. So that's TuttleTwins.com. At um, key.org, if you know a teacher, uh, if you are a teacher yourself, you want uh, uh, copies of, of uh, some of these Tuttle Twins books for students and lesson plans, that's at key.org slash school uh, where you can sign up. And then if you want to learn a little bit more about me, some of the other work that we're doing, it's just uh, ConnorBoyak.com or you can just Google Connor Boyack and you'll find all sorts of stuff, both good and perhaps bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Connor, thank you so much for sharing with us a little bit about the Tuttle Twins. And I, as a as a reader of of them and with my children, I can definitely say, uh, add one more anecdote to the, uh, this is why it's a success. Uh, so thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Thank you.